Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti. This is Yoga Land. Before I get started today, I just want to give you a heads up on our London schedule. So everything is all set up for Jason to come to London. He's going to be doing a hybrid training, which includes six days of an in-person immersion and then 50 hours online to all add up to 100 hours. He does this in three modules for his total of 300 hours, but you can just come and do an immersion if that's what you would like to do as well. You don't have to be going toward becoming a 300-hour certified teacher. Those dates are July 7th through 14th. And then he's also doing some workshops the weekend of July 8th and 9th. I will be joining him on July 14th for a live Yogaland podcast. And that's a free event. We'll be talking about what is this thing that we're still doing? Is it still yoga? So you can get all of that information, pricing, dates, registration on our website at jasonyoga.com slash London. And then the other thing is I am currently doing a book club with Libby Hinesley, who is the author of Yoga for Bendy People. So it's all about hypermobility. I did an episode with Libby a few episodes back that you should go listen to. And I'm hearing from people that even though they're not hypermobile, they're learning so much from reading the book. So if you want to join that book club, you can go to yogaland.substack.com. Hope to see you there. Okay, everyone. Today, my guest is Sarah Ezrin. We are going to be talking all about her new book, The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect With Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. I have known Sarah for some time because she has been a longtime well-known yoga teacher, but I'll give you a little bit of her official bio so you have that too. Sarah Ezrin is a yoga educator, a freelance writer, and a mama based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She has written for lots of outlets, including Yoga International, Yoga Journal, LA Yoga. She's been interviewed in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Bustle, and she's appeared on NBC News. This book is so near and dear to my heart, and I know you're going to enjoy it. It's really, really well laid out and well integrated between yoga practices, yoga wisdom from Sarah and her history of teaching and practicing, and then modern science. So she includes scientific studies. She includes essays from parents. It's all very relatable and clear and just a great encapsulation of ways to help take care of ourselves and frame our parenting in a way that's both compassionate for our kids and ourselves. So we talk all, you know that I love to talk about parenting. So this interview runs the gamut, and I know you'll enjoy it. Without further ado, here is Sarah. Hi there, Sarah. Welcome. I'm so happy to talk to you today. I'm so happy to be here. Like, literally, this has been uh, a dream of mine since I started teaching yoga, it feels like, or since you started the podcast, because I started before that. Yeah. But, so thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. I just love seeing you sitting in front of all of your books. This isn't going to be a video (laughs) podcast, but Sarah's got her books behind her, and I'm so excited for you. And this is just a really huge accomplishment on so many levels. One of the things I love about your book is that you blend 
so many different disciplines. So you you blend all of your yoga knowledge and your background from being a yoga teacher for years. You blend yoga philosophy, and that seems to be very the, the yoga philosophy that you share is very much in the context of how you use it personally in your parenting. And then you share a lot from parenting experts and psychologists and and scientists, social scientists. So that's really cool. And I'm wondering, you know how you decided to structure this book and like, what was it inside of you that needed to have this book come out? So I, first of all, I also sent you a panic text asking if we were going to be on video at all, because I was like, didn't know if I needed makeup or not. I was like, <laughs> oh, Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad we're not. I'm very yeah. glad we're not. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the book really was the book that I was looking for, right? Like when I got pregnant, I read everything known to man, you know? And then when Jonah was first born, that was my, that's my oldest. I was reading what I could, but I really needed something that was grounded in mindfulness and spirituality. And I found a ton of mindful parenting content. You know, John Kabat-Zinn obviously is, you know, so incredible and has a book he co-wrote with his wife. And then there's a great book called Buddhism for Mothers, and she did it also um, a, a second version for Buddhism for Young Mothers. But I couldn't really find anything that was like our language. And I needed answers myself. I was so lost. My anxiety was through the roof. I had severe postpartum anxiety with Jonah. It was the middle of COVID. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write this. <laughs> and not to say that I was the expert, but I I knew that I had to go to all of the sources all of my tools. And that included my mat, my, all of my manuals, you know, all of my philosophy books, all of my mentors, all of my favorite people in the world, everywhere that I could culminate all of these, you know, this information that I was looking for and just put it in one place. Well, it's an incredibly impressive feat for anyone, let alone someone who has two young children. So how old are your children now? So they are three and a half. My oldest is three and a half and my youngest is one. So I actually signed the deal for this and then got pregnant. Like it was somewhere in the same week. And my book was due the same week that Jacob was due. So that, and I, I don't know if you're, you know, or you remember, but I had a very tough pregnancy. I had an HG pregnancy, um, which is when you're, you're nauseous and throwing up the whole time. But for some reason, and this is why morning sickness gets a rap, but bad rap is that from 5 a.m. in the morning till 7.30 a.m. was the only time of day that I wasn't throwing up and nauseous. And that's when huh. I wrote my book. I don't know how you did it. I am so amazed. I'm so amazed. Ooh, it was uh, doozy. One of the, yeah. One of the things that you becomes very clear in the book is that you've struggled with not, like you've struggled with your inner overachiever, you know? So do you... <laughs> I'm reading this book. I'm like, how did she do this in this amount of time? So, you know, one of the other questions I had was just like, and I will obviously read the name of the book in the intro, but the book focuses on, it's on 10 yoga-based practices. So it hangs around like these 10 concepts. So what came first? Like, did you just, was there a part of you that was like, yes, I know what the 10 concepts are and I'm like, this part is easy and then I'm going to fill it in with my stories and interviews with people and my research or or did you have to kind of wade through all the research and stories first to then create the 10 concepts? Well, the subtitle is the hardest 
thing of any book, right? Like I think that some people, like they always seem like they just like nail it, but there's so many versions that it goes through. And like, even the title itself was, I I wanted to call it the perfectly imperfect parent. That was like, that was my goal. But, you know, we knew that we wanted to put yoga in there and and I understand the choice. Um, And it's it's helped kind of separate it from other parenting books. But the subtitle was actually like, I didn't even, apparently there's 34 practices. First of all, somebody counted all of them because there's different breathing exercises and then the poses and then the this and the that. But I did have 10 chapters. So I had these 10 concepts and I knew that I wanted to have a piece of each of these things within each of them. So in other words, I wanted you know, somewhat of a short story of, of a, a parent parenting in practice, right? I wanted some sort of psychology concept where we're backing up what we're saying and what we've known for millennia as yoga practitioners with brain science and with, you know, peer-reviewed research. And then the pose, actually, I didn't want to put a pose at the beginning of the chapter. I was trying to really kind of move it more towards personal development, but I'm actually very glad now that we did put it in because, you know, I learn so much through my body and, you know, like, I think, you know, your, your listeners as you know, I'm one of your, you know, big fans as we are obsessed with, you know, our bodies and what can we learn? I'm like now reading uh, Jill's book right now. And (laughs) I was like, this is a tangible way. This is just another tool to learn these lessons. So I'm very glad that we ended up putting it in, in the end, but yeah, it was kind of like a little hodgepodge. I think it was like 12 concepts that got whittled down to 10, but there's really 34, but it's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, no, it's true. It's like, it's the 10 concepts and then you've got a, it's a, I I like that it's sort of multi-sensory learning the way Mm -hmm. that you presented it. So you've got within each of the 10, you've got like those sub practices and you might choose to do a pose. You might choose to do a meditation or a breathing exercise. I think that, I think that was really smart. So thumbs up to your editor for, for making you keep the pose in, poses in, because I do, I agree with you. I, I feel like we all learn so differently and we learn differently on different days. So there might be a day when you're reading it and just feeling like, I just want to get up and do something. And Actually, I've really mostly learned this with my daughter, who is like a total multi-sensory learner. And and our generation, we didn't really have that option growing up. You know, everybody just had to sit at their desks and fill out their worksheets. And some days for her, that's great. Like having that structure and having that checklist to check off her to-do list. And some days, you know, the fact that her teacher shows them a video of like the Mars landing and then has them construct like little wheelie carts is way cooler than just sitting at their desk doing the the worksheet. So anyway, I digress, but, um, but I just had a flashback I, to elementary school, <laughs> like sitting and filling out the forms. Yeah. That's not how I learn either. I mean, and I don't know, you know, I like I didn't even know that it was called multisensory, but I've always learned in a variety of different ways and it always needs to be changing and it always needs to be dynamic. So that's how I like to try to teach too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was there anything that came out of writing this book that you you know, so often when I write, it's like something that I need to learn mm. and I, it's, it helps it kind of embed inside of me and then I can recall it more easily. Were there any parts of the book that you wrote or anybody's stories that were shared with you? I should mention, you know, you also include essays from other parents that you've interviewed and the lessons that they've learned. Was there anything that you, that you took away from that book that you're like, oh, yeah, that lesson for me is 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 your own takeaway you know your own learning that you that you needed to learn that you now can kind of more reliably come back to in your own life and practice 
it's all practice, right? So I'm like, what I haven't learned. I don't think learned is the word. I think it's learning. I think it's just this continual trial and error. And even as Mm -hmm. I was like sharing with you the process of writing the book, I'm like, oh, that does sound a little intense. And that definitely wasn't taking my own advice, you know, and it's interesting how many times I've read the book and how many edits we had to do and that I had to like keep relearning over and over and over again. So, you know, no easy answer. I think all of it is, is a work in progress. I would definitely say that the chapter that has been coming up for me a lot more than the others lately is boundary setting and specifically like not even boundaries. Like, you know, we think of boundaries as like, oh, that person's an overshare, but really boundaries in separating what I'm responsible for and what everyone else is responsible for, which as a mom can get really confusing Mm -hmm. because you assume, you know, you have to take on everything that your children are going through and and, in a partnership, it's the same thing. Like, you know, my husband's sides and I'm like, what have I done? You know, (laughs) it's like, I spend the whole day like freaking out. And then I remember, oh, the Eagles lost, you know, it was like, that mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. So it's, it's getting really clear on what I'm responsible for, because I'm like a sieve. I just take on everyone's stuff. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of us are that are in the the yoga world, but yeah, that's been my biggest, that's definitely my, my cutting edge, my, my yeah. hardest hill, my steepest hill. It's so hard. I mean, I think the combination of being highly sensitive, which you mentioned that you are in the book, and then trying to practice empathic parenting, which you kind of also bring up in the book is a style that you really resonate with. And then having a person who was made from your tissue and and that you carried around, it means that boundaries are so tricky. And like you said, it's just a constant work in progress. And I mean, I think it's actually just fascinating. You know, it's just fascinating. I remember when Sophia was about two, I was talking to a woman who had an adult child and she said, oh, you know, she was just visiting me for the weekend and we had to kind of reconnect and now we have to re-disconnect and it's really hard. And she's like, and I couldn't even imagine at that point, you know, I was still breastfeeding. I couldn't even imagine any kind of disconnecting Mm. from my child or vice versa. And she said, oh, you, you will get there. You will, you will get there. And, you know, we're approaching preteen, teen years. And I know now at this point, it will happen without my wanting it to. You know what I mean? Like, that's their job as preteens and teenagers is to start to carve out their own place outside of you. And when she was a toddler, I was like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. Like, when am I going to have my own space? When am I going to have my own this? And now I'm like, oh, no. Like, now now it's I'm going to have to practice giving her space and letting her set her own boundaries, you know? So Terrifying, it's like- Andrea. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm not going to reassure you in any way. I'm like, my anxiety levels are rising. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I experienced it with my toddlers too. Like I, I remember because Jonah was born in the midst of COVID, we didn't have a lot of exposure to different families. You know, I had my brother in the city. We were still in the city at the time and his, we have a different mom and his mom came up to visit. And it was like the first time that Jonah had crawled away from me to another person. And I was heartbroken. I was like, what is happening? He like, didn't turn around. He didn't even look at me. And like, I remember being devastated by it. And of course, you know, later I learned like, okay, no, this is very healthy. This is very normal. My second, like literally like doesn't even ever look back. Right. Like it's like, it's such a different experience, but 
as we get older and, or as they get older, well, we're getting older too, but as, you know, as they get older, those separations are just even more intense, you know, whether it's for a full school day or for a full year, or suddenly, you know, they're moving across the country and it's like, whew, all of our practices have to, uh, to go into place to really, to remember where we're deeply connected and where we'll always be connected, but also to remember that like, they were never ours to begin with, you know, which I is- know. I know so you, hard. you repeat that throughout and it's a really important thing to remember. And it is, it is really hard. It is really, really hard to remember. And I think perhaps in like previous generations, I don't even know if I want to go here, but I think it, in previous <laughs> generations, from what I can tell, it was easier to remember at least, you know, in the last century, I would say probably not before that, but you know, we just, you and I were both just kind of raised in such a different parenting style than I think we're attempting to raise our kids. And we are trying to be so much more connected and attentive without helicoptering, without, you know, overly inserting our agendas, without hovering and smothering and being cloying, but just being attuned, right? Being really, really attuned. And that balance is so, it's just like an ever moving boundary. It's it's challenging. Going back to boundaries. (laughs) Well, but, re- you know, and I think this this goes into the boundary conversation, too, which is like, no wonder parents are as burnt out as they are these days, because it's almost easier to just be the helicopter parent and, you know, completely insert yourself and become enmeshed and, and you know, you don't have to, like, think it through Or to be on the other side of that, which is more like, you know, how we were raised, which is more that authoritarian style where it's Mm -hmm. like my way or the highway and kind of disconnected. But Mm -hmm. to be in that balance of like, you know, being involved, being attuned, you know, at the same time as like taking care of yourself, pulling back out without the village, right? Without actually having people around to then support us in those ways. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. Like my dad Mm -hmm. is like, he watches me with my sons and he's like, it's exhausting. You know, you're like, you're tuning into this one. And then that one's over there. And then this one. And you know, it's, yeah, but this is where I think boundaries come in because how do you protect your own energy? What are you doing to take care of yourself so that you are more full when you show up for your family? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is actually something you're great at sharing on your social media is talking about parental burnout and not having that village. And I I just think you have done it so well and put a voice to that. And I've also seen you respond to, like, I think you've probably published things, gotten some negative comments as people are surprise, surprise known to do on the internet. And you've responded like, this doesn't mean I don't love my children. This doesn't mean I'm not trying to complain. So I guess I would just love to know, having watched you kind of publish on uh, and feel that it's important to share this, what can we do or what have you done to try to create that village for yourself? Or what could we do as a society to try to come back to that a little bit of having support, of having more continuity of support? Like, what would your wish list be? I mean, if it's a wish list that I'm like writing our government, you know, because I do think that there needs to be social systems in place. And I know that's a different podcast and a bigger conversation, uh, but the, you know, what can we do tangibly, you know, as individuals and especially as the yoga community too. So something I was thinking about is like, even when I've been like doing the marketing for this book, 
a lot of different publications that not parenting publications, um, but a lot of more mainstream publications are like, parent doesn't really, it's not like a really popular vertical, you know, it's like, and they're like, you know, you get put into this category and then you're in this box, but you're very separate from the rest of the world. And you're supposed to show up in the world like you never had a kid. And yet you're supposed to parent, right? Like you are not in, in the world the rest of the time. And it, it really is this kind of dual it, and, and not to say like, I, I'm ready to like start letting kids come into every yoga class I teach, but like, where's the separation and, and where is the joining together? So some things that I'm trying to do is, you know, personally, mommy groups are real or not mommy groups, right? Parent groups, right? Care, let's say care, caregiver, because we know um, it's not just moms, right? It's, it's also dads and then grandparents and primary caregivers. So like some kind of caregiver and me group. That is going to be your best resource. I am still like, we are a motley crew. Like if you saw us walking down the street, we are all very different. Like, you know, I'm like the yoga teacher, right? And then you've got like the architect and everybody looks totally different, but we are all completely bonded together. We've been together for three and a half years through COVID, through our kids and our friendships are deep. And that's been an essential resource for me. And even though most of us have moved out of the city, we all are still on a text thread together. So if there's some access to a caregiver and me group, and if you can do it through your yoga studio, even better because, and I didn't get that option again because of COVID. And then when I, by the time I had Jacob, like <laughs> I've literally been in a studio like once since I had Jacob. But, you know, I, I think like having that community there where they're going through the same thing at the same time is crucial. Totally. I started my own and because I didn't have an option. And one of the women that I met through that group is, remains one of my best friends and her daughter and Sophia have known each other since they were four and six weeks old and they are still best friends, even, cool at a, even having moved away. So yes, going through that together is huge. It's huge. And then the thing that I'm not in this chapter, but maybe you are, so I'm curious your thoughts on it, is like for people that are out of the kind of madness of those first four years, the first four to five years, how do we then, how can we show up for our friends that are starting to enter those stages? And what are some, some things that we can do? I mean, something like it's easy for me to do like a meal train for someone that's just about to have a baby. I'm not going to cook them. I liked, I told all my neighbors, cause we've done meal trains for each other. And like, I have one neighbor that like cooks for you for, you for a week. And I'm like, no, I will send you like $200. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what you'll get from me, but you know, different ways that we can then contribute on the other side to also uh, put out that lending hand too. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I've tried to do, I have, um, you know, I, I live in a new place. We moved here just under two years ago. So I don't have like long-term deep friendships yet, but I do have a friend who I met through yoga who has a, she just turned three, a just mm. turned three-year-old. And what I try to do for her is what I kind of wish someone had done for me, which is to say you, and I'm not going to say her daughter's name, I'll just call her daughter uh, Mary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you and Mary can come over. And if she is tired and grumpy, it's not a big deal. If she tantrums, it's not a big deal. If you guys need to leave right away, it's not a big deal. Just come, just be here with us. Because as a mom, I think she needs more support than she realizes. But when your kids are in kind of a toddler 
transitional phase and their behavior changes and it's changing every day. As a mom, you can feel really self-conscious about that. And you don't, like, I just never wanted to insert my kid on other people. So I lost contact with a lot of friends in the city who didn't have kids. And it's hard, you know, it's just, and so just for me, like, that if I can provide for other moms this feeling of like, you're totally safe with us to just show up how you need to show up. And I am not going to judge your child. Every, every way that they behave is normal for their age. Even the outlier children who other people might think are like, oh, he's crazy. He's running around and throwing things. I'm, I'm not the mom who's going to judge that kid. I, I think that having Sophia has shown me how much I love children. I just love children. And I, have so much empathy for them as dynamic beings who are going through so much all the time. So yeah, that that's that's what I can provide for people is kind of like a safe place to show up as yourself with your kid as themselves and that and to kind of reassure them that it's actually important to to do that and to get out of kind of isolating yourself because that's a little bit of what I did. We brought her daughter her daughter was going through her frozen phase. And so at Christmas time, Sophia and I picked out like a little frozen nightgown at Target and a little microphone that like played frozen or something. And we brought it over for her to open up. And I, and I just kind of like, I totally inserted, I was like, we're coming over, we're bringing this little present. You don't have to open in front of us, but we're just coming over, we're dropping it off. And so it was just this really casual hang, you know, and her daughter opened it up and was just like her eyes were just, and she kept looking at Sophia, you know, this older girl. Yep. And it was like a magical little moment. And now I think since then, she's a lot more comfortable just hanging out. Yeah, I think yeah. providing spaces for people to be themselves. Yeah, yeah and, and, and you bring up such a good point, which is like toddlers, and, and this goes to conscious parenting too, right? So your toddlers are going to act erratic. They're going to do some wild stuff. Like, I, you know, we were out to dinner and it was like, I, my husband was out of town. So I was solo with the kids for the first time. So I took them out to this pizza place. Cause like, it's almost easier to have them out sometimes. Yeah. And my one-year-old was like taking the plate. And I was like, literally, he's like stronger than me. And I'm like trying to pull the plate back. And then he like throws the plate and it's everywhere. Now, if I was at home, I would probably like laugh clean it up and, you know, we would move on maybe, you know, depending on the day, right? Obviously I'm a human. And if I was tired, I would, I would be, you know, probably annoyed or if the house was just clean, whatever. But for the most part, my, I think my reaction would have been much more subdued, but because I was in public, I was horrified yeah. and not, not at him, but I'm like, oh, these people, you know, they're like, people are looking at us as per, they must think I'm a terrible mom. Like, it's amazing that in a split second where your brain can go and then suddenly you're responding from that place and you're not really yeah. responding to the kid in front of you. So I, I think it's incredible that you offer that for her, you know, because just imagine showing up in that way where you, you are fully yourself. You don't have to be looking around all the time. You don't have to be checking behind your back and apologizing that it's just accepted that this is just the way, you know, kids are. <laughs> They're wild. Yeah. And there's just Three a and under, like, woo. Yeah. And it's just a range. Like, I think once you start to accept and understand the range of typical child behaviors and a quote unquote atypical child behaviors, you, you become much more compassionate about the adults in your life, right? 
who display a wide range of behaviors depending on their genetics, on their upbringing, on their ability to self-reflect on all of their, you, you know, it's, yeah, I, I do feel frustrated in general. It's interesting that you mentioned like publications saying like, oh, people don't really want to hear about parenting. It's true. Like we are, at least in the U.S., it's almost like keep children like a dirty little secret or something. It's it's so strange. I find it so strange. And when you said, you know, we're expected to show up in the world completely separate in our work lives, like all put together and all, you know, I don't, I think all the time, I don't know how people do it. I don't, I I because obviously I have incorporated it a lot into my own work. If you listen to the podcast, you know I talk about it a lot. And it kind of blows my mind that people can show up and just pretend that it's not life-changing to to be a caregiver. Yeah, and I think we're all doing each other a disservice, you know, which is why like I go out of my way. I mean, something I want to just reflect back to you is I've loved hearing the growth as Sophia's gotten older and you've gone on this journey with her and what you're learning alongside of her and what it's helping you learn for the community. It's like in in your introspection, in your willingness to sit with her and to evolve alongside her, you're now opening this up as a much bigger community. I mean, I forward all your stuff to a family member who's um 10 year old is ADHD. And, you know, it's like you're helping other people by being open about your experience and your evolution. When we keep everything all closed off and we're like showing up so perfectly, like what, you know, first of all, we're, that's the boundary thing again, right? Like we're completely shut down. Our lives are super tiny. We're not able to reach out to others. No one's getting into us. So it's been like a mission of mine to be like, you know, which is maybe not a good thing. No, it but, is a good thing. So maybe boundaries is, is for me an oversharing <laughs> side, but like, just that like, this is what's happening. And I will say, even in just the four years since I got pregnant the first time, I feel like, and maybe it was COVID where we all were just like, we moved away from the Instagram curation of things and people were much more kind of that TikTok, like, let's get real side of things. I feel like there's been much more of an acceptance of that almost to the point where like people are like, okay, now everyone's just complaining about motherhood and it's like too much of like the other side. We almost need to find the balance, but you know, I, I just, I think it's all valid and it's all real and you know, parenthood is hard and Mm -hmm. it's like one of the hardest things. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And you know, um, why can't we all share about that? Because then just imagine like we could all help each other. You know, if you come to work, first of all, you shouldn't be coming back to work after, you know, however many weeks anyway, right? Like, you know, I wish we, we need longer paid family leave. But if you do have to come back and your your coworkers know that you've just been through this huge transition, they can support you. You, you know, parents of older children can step in. Like there's just so many ways that we can all support each other if we all show up honestly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I don't think you're an oversharer, by the way. I think you share really well. And I think you're, I think, oh, my I think husband. What, you, what you share is very important. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? <laughs> Tell your husband. Yeah, well, I'll make listen to this too. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. It's hard. Like, if you're just a transparent person, it's that's just how you are in the world. I, I feel similarly about myself from time to time. And, and, and I like, I, I feel the I feel the same re- reflection back to you, which is that what you're talking about and sharing is incredibly helpful to other people who might feel shame or alone or even just unable to I 
identify exactly. And then you, you publish something and I'm sure it's like, oh yeah, okay. It's normal that I feel burnt out right now. So there's one thing you talk about that you talk about the nervous system in chapter three, and that's one of my, my favorite chapters. And you brought something up that I'd never thought about before that I wonder if you can just talk about a little bit of your own process, which is that you had to resensitize your nervous system that you, you had unknowingly not even been following kind of your nervous system cues. So I wonder if you can share a little bit more about that. I also want to apologize because my dog is snoring so loudly. So I don't know. If we can edit that, I can't I hear it. Ginger, ginger licking in one of the, me- one of your meditations, but his yes. like full on freight train in my left ear. Um, so speaking of nervous system sensitive, you know, over sensitization, I was always very sensitive as a kid. And, you know, that was like a bad word, you know, oh, you're too sensitive. Like, why are you crying? Why are you laughing? Why are you feeling? My emotions were huge. And, uh, it, it was Im- interpreted as though there was something wrong. And like, obviously, you know, we determined later in life that I do have generalized anxiety. But as a kid, I was actually misdiagnosed as having bipolar disorder at eight years old. And oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, wow, because the tough. emotions were so, my emotions were so up and down. And, you know, I you know, heard that this was the case in the 90s, that this was happened. very common. Yep. And then by the time these kids were adults... They were finding it was, that's interesting that you, that you went through that. That must've been tough. Well, it's kind of similar to, you know, and, and, you know, obviously like there's, you know, ADHD is a, is a very real issue, but there was also a surplus of ADD diagnoses, if you remember too, in the like late nineties. So this was, I was eight years old. So this would have been 1990. But as a result, you know, I was put on medication and by the way, like, you know, I'm a believer in pharmacology, so I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing medication, but it was the wrong medication and it it dampened a lot of my feelings. I was constantly told, you know, too much, it's too much, it's too much. So I made myself small. I made myself small, you know, most of my life, which was really hard to do because I've got this very loud person inside of me. But what that looked like is, you know, it restricting my eating, ignoring those kind of signs. It looked like, you know, when I was scared, putting on a very brave face and an armor around myself, which is really interesting now being a mom, because my mom was always very kind of, you know, tightly wound, very English. And I realized now like, oh, that was, you were like a scared little girl under there. She had just, she had just desensitized herself by putting on this armor. So it was, it was a lot of that. It was like, you know, working in an industry, I worked in the film industry for a while. I grew up in the, my dad was in the music industry where there was a lot of like yelling and chaos and this and that, but you, you desensitize yourself to that so that it it becomes normal. It becomes normal to be spoken to like you're an idiot, you know, all these things that just make yourself smaller and smaller and smaller. And it was coming onto the yoga mat and, you know, when my mom was, was quite sick and I was still working in film and I just didn't know what to do. I was really lost. And and it was really on my yoga mat and reconnecting to my practice that I was like, oh, this is not authentic. Mm -hmm. This is not really how I'm feeling in this moment. And like Mm -hmm. not even mentioning, you know, the, the drugs and alcohol side of things. And so when I started to like really feel, I was like, wow, you know, there are huge emotions here. There's big vicissitudes of my nervous system that I'm going to have to learn how to ride. But I felt so safe in my yoga practice and, you know, eventually leaving that job and starting to teach yoga that it it created a forum for me to finally 
come out of myself, you know, right. in, a, in an authentic way rather than like fighting to get out. Cause I right. would obviously explode. She thought it's always inside of me, right. That, that up and down um, energy, but yeah. So you were able to kind of like feel your emotions again for the first time since you had really sublimated them. Probably you'd worked for such a long time to, to stuff it all down and make yourself seem more even keeled. And then it sounds like it was like on your yoga mat that you were able to feel things. And then how did you kind of cope with that? Did you, did you, do you feel like just the process of embodiment and yoga and your teachers helped you move through that? Or was it like a combo of that and therapy? You know, you're so, you're so self-actualized. Like everything that I see in the way that you write about parenting is you have so much clarity. So, so what was that process like when you started to kind of unravel I mean, there's so many, I think it's all everything and everything, right? Like mm-hmm. I, my whole life, I wanted that one thing to just take the anxiety away. And I was like, you know, is it going to be a magic pill? Is it going to be this therapist? Is it going to be this yoga practice? Is it going to be sitting for meditation? And, you know, sometimes I'll get these like two weeks of, you know, or Al-Anon is like my new, that's my new thing. You know, it'll, it'll get me two weeks of serenity and then, you know, I'm right back. But I find when I practice them all together, so, you know, the, the feeling, the feelings, it was, I was always really, it was a bit contradictory, right? Like I made myself small, but I was never able to contain that. So it would come out in these really explosive ways because mm, okay. it was like taking all this energy, like now, you know, what I like, I, it's like brightness and prana and these things that we want to shine and shoving them down into this little hole and it would come out in explosive ways. So whether that was like, you know, decades long bulimia or, you know, aggression or, you know, it would come out in, in explosive, you know, other just explosive behavior, like all those, it was still coming out. It's just that it wasn't coming out. Like it wasn't like the pot wasn't being released slowly, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the yoga helped me start to learn how to do it on a much like more daily basis of like, you know, it was embodiment for sure, right? Feeling like, oh, okay, I'm starting to feel my heart rate increase a little bit right now. You know, it was a lot of LA's freeways (laughs) being (laughs) honked and like, oh, okay, like, wow, this is how my nervous system is responding and starting to find these spaces where before it either would have been an explosion or I would have imploded, you know, and shoved it all down. I just started to have a little bit more space between the response and the reaction. And yeah, I mean, like it's, it's by no means, you know, resolved in any way. I still have explosions and I still, you know, but I, I just feel much more, I can feel them happening. I can, you know, the, the Dalai Lama was like, would say like the storm is coming. It's not that he doesn't get angry anymore. He just sees the storm coming. And that's kind of, you know, what was starting to happen thanks to the yoga practice. Yeah. Like you, you sort of say in the beginning of the book, it's always about that, that you, you want the book to be permission to be in progress. Mm-hmm. And I love that you set that tone and that foundation from the very beginning, because I still meet people here who find out Jason and I are both in yoga and meditation and they're like, oh, you must be so Zen. (laughs) It's like, no, don't just, you got to get to know us. We're way more interesting than that. (laughs) There's a lot more happening than you could ever imagine. So do you feel like for, I mean, do you feel grateful that you didn't have your children at 25 and that yeah, I mean, it was a, I didn't want children at all, but I do. I do want to say something really, and I know that that's. Let's just throw that in the middle and then back up real quick. But I do want to also give credit to my teacher Annie Carpenter because you asked about teachers and and something. 
that, you know, I was an Ashtanga practitioner for a long, long time, but she was the one like teacher that I would go to regularly. Her and Mati really were, were both of them slowed me down. I had not, you know, the Ashtanga was like this and it was so fun and fabulous and, and I enjoyed it and I miss it. And I sometimes like try to get back and then my shoulder, you know, I've got like old injuries that come up, but Mati and and Annie, that was their the work they did with me. So 1000% it started in my body. It started in the ability for me to say, okay, like I don't need to be jumping up, jumping back and then, you know, pushing it up. Like it, it was something as simple as like step back put your knees down lower, like really taking my time with the technical side of the postures and the alignment in the body really started to help me start to do that emotionally. So I like, I have to give, you know, the, they they were my leaders in that. Annie calls it presencing, right? Like that's her, that's her verb. Oh, I love that. It's 1000%. Like that was, that was what started to shift things off the map for me too. Yeah. I love that. And I love that they, you know, I just love that yoga teachers can have that ability to see their students and to just do something so simple, right? Which is to slow you down and that that had such a reverberating effect. That's brilliant. It's really Mati, Mati used to always yell "molto, molto." She's like, you know, it's like I think that's the slow down, or she would see, she would yell something in the room to everybody to like slow down, slow down, yeah, slow down. She dialed at me way back and had me huh. moving at like a snail's pace, and it it really it changed everything. Huh? Wow, that's amazing. That's totally, yeah. Okay, another little quote that I want to read of, from you is from chapter four. And it's about challenges being gifts. Mm -hmm. And you say, we may see that the greatest challenges we face with our children are what leads them them closer to who they truly are. The process just takes takes time and an ability to withstand a whole lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Whole lot of pressure. (laughs) You know, I just thought that was such a perfect description of the age range that you are dealing with right now. And I mean, all age ranges, like because kids ebb and flow, they ebb and flow in and out of difficult times and periods and growth. But I do remember feeling a whole lot of internal pressure when I had a toddler. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to bring up that quote and just see if that brings up anything in you as you hear it read back to you. Yeah. I mean, first I, cause I liked it kind of dropped the bomb earlier about not wanting to have kids. And like, obviously I'm very glad that I did, but you asked me at 25, it was like not even in my you know perspective, but I think that that's part of this, the pressure of it, right. Is like, I could barely handle life in, in those early days. And I was overwhelmed by, you know, there was like a, a mix up, you know, with class times or a slowdown on the freeway. And, you know, those things, like, I thought that I was practicing tapas, which is what the, the chapter's about, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, you know, it means heat, but it really is that pra- practice of purification. I thought I was practicing tapas because I was doing this really intensive practice for two hours and I was like sweating and dripping and, you know, but then I'd get in the car and just lose it because I got a parking ticket, you know, (laughs) or like completely overwhelmed because plans would change. When I started to get pregnant, and then when I had my first children, I realized like, oh no, this is really the practice. It is that, you know, sitting, not only are you uncomfortable in your body, whether it's, you know, while you're pregnant or postpartum, but then it's the discomfort of having someone scream crying in your ear, the not knowing where to go, what to do. It's, it's overwhelming. 
But when I'm able to like step out of it, and especially you have to kind of come to the other side because when you're in it, it's, you know, you're in it, right? But coming to the other side, when I like finally sit up and it's been six months and I look back and I'm like, oh, like that pregnancy and the discomfort of postpartum was me bringing a life into this world. Him screaming and not going to sleep for those first three to four months was his that was all of his awareness exploding and, you know, his ability now at six months to laugh and, you know, start to speak or whatever, you know, I don't even remember what they do at six months. So I'm like, you know, now the year mark. I like it. It's amazing. They you for amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amnesia. Exactly. Yeah, totally. You know, they're sitting up that all of these things, when you're able to look back, you can see, you know, that they were really a processing, a purification towards a next step. But I did also want to make sure it's not the same thing as spiritual bypassing, right? Which is like that there's like this, you know, looking for the silver lining and everything. Not every challenge has a gift Mm -mm. at the end. Mm -mm. Not every challenge. Yeah. 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 Totally. You also share really well about um, social media in the book. And you call that chapter, I think it's called Sharenting, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) Which is so great. (laughs) And... I am just curious about what you're, because you do share on social and you do share about parenting, though you don't share specifically about your kids, which, you know, I think is wise. Is it a work in process, in progress in terms of how much you share, how little you share, what you share, or do you have like strict inner guidelines for yourself in terms of what you do and do not share in regards to your family and being a parent? I mean, I definitely have some guidelines, right? Like there are like, I don't, I don't share anything obviously where they're naked or, you know, no bums as cute as the bums are. I'll text it to you privately, but like, I'm not going to share anything like that on in the public. When I first had Jonah and it was actually when we were trying to get pregnant, I was like, I'm going to share everything. And my husband was like, absolutely not. And it was like, it was a major point of contention because he's completely anti-social media. Like literally he's like, I just discovered this thing called reels on Facebook. And I was like, oh honey, like this is like two weeks ago. And now he's like watching like cooking reels. And I'm like, this is the cutest thing. That's like he so had to funny. like even Facebook, you know, he had yeah. to come like reels I'm like, on it's, Facebook. it's actually called TikTok. And then, you know, the- <laughs> That became real, but you know, so we, we had to make a, an agreement where I would only ask, I would ask permission before I shared anything. And that went out the door real quick because, you know, with stories you're posting all the time and, you know, I did not do a great job of that. And then as, when I got pregnant with Jacob and especially when I started writing the book and I was talking to other parents who were much more private with their kids' stories and really learning about, you know, all like, it's just horrifying out there and and the realities of sharenting. I sort of did an about face. And for a minute, I stopped sharing about, I stopped sharing their pictures and their images at all. And I was mm-hmm. really making sure I was watching parents that I admire. There's a soul cycle too, or she doesn't teach a soul cycle anymore, but she has a spin instructor up here, Heather Anderson. And she, she would always just do the back of her kid's head and every picture. And it was really cool and really That's well smart. done. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, oh, wow, like you still get the energy. You still sense, you know, this, this child exists, but there's, there's no privacy violation. Mm -hmm. And I really went back and forth. And then when Jacob was born, I was like, oh, I'm not going to share anything. And then slowly, but surely here we are, you know, he's a year and I've started sharing a little bit more readily again. Well, I remember I, I duetted the, the meditation with you and I was really like, I was so hesitant to like put it up, but it was so, I was just like this very real moment. And 
So I'm, I, you know, I think intentional is the word right now. I wouldn't, you know, other than the rule of like, you know, no bath time, no naked, no, no, not even like shirts off. Right. But other than that, like, it's just more like intentional and kind of like situational. Right. Yeah. Of like, yeah. And I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, to flip the question a little bit more to the positive side of things. What is your intention when you do share? Like, what are some of the things, what are some of the key pillars that you're hoping to share with the world in a, in a way that helps shift the way people are thinking about things? Because I feel like you do have, to me, there is clarity in your, in your mission on social I feel so funny because I feel like I'm just like, and I, just, I need somebody. I, just I wanted like, to oh, assure you that I that that's the reason I, I asked the question. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I need uh, someone was talking about being the banks to someone's river once, and like that's what I need. Like because I'm just like I'll do that. I have no system, but um, I appreciate that it appears that way. Part of it is obviously they're so darn cute. And like, you know, so if there's like a really cute picture that we've taken and it, it encapsulates the joy of our weekend, then I would love to share that with the world because everything else, uh, you know, so many other things on social are just horrifying right now. And it, it just, to me, it is like a cleanse, right? It's like, it's it's this moment of like, you know, a virtual sage, if you will, to like see someone's kids and how cute they are and to, you know, really just pure joy in those moments, right? Not curated, just like messy joy. So when I, you know, certain images, that's, that's kind of the motivation behind that. But like, you know, when I do some of the videos and I do end up including them, it's more just to show because it's, it's the mess of it, right? Like I'm not, I don't have a tripod. I don't have, I mean, I have a light, but I don't use it for that. You know, I've got a light that I use for teaching, but like, other than that, we're like propping up the phone and then we're just like living our lives. And it's, it's just a very real snapshot. And I don't have the, t- I think it's almost more curated if I try to like get the back of his head and then like, I'm like, oh, what if I position you like this? Like, yeah, it's just, true. It's, it's a very real moment that I, I feel like sharing or, you know, that like I, I want to capture for myself. And then later I'm looking at it in my, in my photos and I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, this is, I, this is an important lesson. So yeah, yeah, I appreciate that it appears intentional because I assure you it is not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I should say also with your reels, you know, just I see you sharing a lot of body positivity, which I think is really important, especially as a yoga teacher, um, because I think uh, the the pressure that that women feel about their bodies, yoga teacher women feel times 10. So I see you sharing a, a, like, there's just a lot that comes through about just being nourishing to yourself and not just accepting, but celebrating where you are in life. And so I see a lot of that. And I see a lot of just like you share the growth and maturity process really well that we all are constantly going through. And you're just very transparent about the fact that we are all always learning and growing and changing. And that's, I mean, it's so crazy to me that as I've gotten a little bit older, that there's just in our society so much clinging to to youth and like wanting things to stay the same forever and wanting things to, it, it's just not joyful to kind of cling in that way. And so I see you just as a light in terms of sharing your process and in your growth. And, and like you said, like, 
the messiness and the beauty of being a human and being um, a conscious, self-reflective person. Very sweet. And I'll, t- I'll take it in because I'm like, okay, give it back. Give it back. No, I will, I will yeah, take it in. take it in. Take it in. The, the One of the, the benefits of social media for me is like, I've always really thrived in group therapy style forums. So whether it's like actual group therapy or when I did my eating disorder recovery and I would go to a day program or, you know, currently I'm in Al-Anon, which is, you know, for friends, family and um, spouses and, and siblings of alcoholics, you know, you sit in a circle. It's like, I've always done better in those kind of settings. Interesting. So what I like about Insta or, you know, I mean, all of them, right. Is that I'll share, but then all of the comments where it's like, me too, this happened to me, this, this, and this it's, you know, selfishly, I don't feel alone in those moments. Not only do I, do I want people to not feel alone, but it's like, it normalizes what I'm going through. And then suddenly I feel like we're sitting in a circle together and we're all just like, yes, yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, nodding in unison and nodding in agreement. And that like, that's such a powerful part of it to me because it's so healing for me to be able to, you know, have other people respond. I mean, even just hearing me too, you know, or seeing the clap, you know, emoji is like, it, it allows me to take a deep breath. And I, I just feel like I'm sitting in the circle with people as opposed to like being by myself in my, you know, bathroom, taking my body apart. Right. That's so smart. That's really wise and nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's, and it, it makes sense. I don't know if I ever thought of it that way for myself either, but it's really true. Like it's, it is validating when you publish something that you're struggling with or something that you're trying to like embody yourself to hear other people say like, I get it. I guess you mentioned we were emailing back and forth and you were like, I know that you're struggling with social media lately. And I definitely am mostly because I feel like I um, see how much I'm starting to really in the past couple of years sense how much time all these seemingly like little things take. Mm -hmm. And Jason is actually more on social media lately than I am. And he tends to write his posts at night and then get up in the morning and post them while Sophia is getting ready for school. And it's like, from my perspective, I see him on his phone at night and then I see him on his phone in the morning. And at first I would be like, get off your phone. We're eating breakfast. Like he's over on the couch, but so he's not eating while he's doing it. But we're across the room eating breakfast. And he's like, no, no, I'm actually working. And so I respect that. And it's true. He is. But I see how much time that's taking of his mental and physical and emotional energy. And that's what's mostly bothering me lately more than anything is just that that drain that the social media companies want us to feel like, oh, just like share a story, just like share a little glimpse of your day, just share a little this. But then they, there's like more and more and more as expected of you. And the algorithm asks for more and more and more. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's taking away from this actual moment with my family if I'm thinking about posting it. So that is like my struggle. But I agree with you that finding community can be so incredibly helpful the internet and on the socials and finding people to just support your journey. Do you, what do you do about trolls or negative comments? Like, I don't know if you have them, but I would imagine you have enough followers that you've kind of had to deal with that. How do you, how do you cope with that? 
Well, real quick, I think you guys need to be outsourcing your social media. Jason should not be on the couch doing his own social. I feel like we are at a point. I will find well, you a virtual assistant. No, no, no. We've in tried that. Career. He really likes he really he likes doesn't. to do it himself, believe it or yeah. not. I know. I know it's because I've I've never really worked with anybody on it either, and I feel the same way. It's my it's my like own outlet, but yeah. I do I, with the time suck of it. And now you know you're on Substack, which is so awesome, and I, and I'm you know enjoying that too. Is like imagine if we rerouted that energy and put that there. But yes, okay, yeah. so that was my advice. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Hire someone, um, but that's very cute, and I appreciate that he likes to do it himself. And how cool for people to hear that, by the way, right? Like, yeah. you know, people that are like following and you know, hundreds of thousands. You know, I mean, you're always going to have naysayers, and you're always going to have you know negative people that disagree, especially when you're really pushing against you know these norms and and these idealized versions of like motherhood or body type. You know, at the biggest post that I had that that really took up. It was like months of my time of responding to negativity was on TikTok. And it was a post that got 3.2 million views, which is like insane. Like, I don't even understand that number. I don't even like literally, it doesn't make sense in my head. But what it was, is I was talking about that my resentment and anger towards my husband, I was, I was newly postpartum, wasn't really directed at him, but was directed at the system. Mm-hmm. and that realization. So I was taking him off the hook. Like I was literally yeah. saying like, my rage is misdirected, but the responses, Andrea, oh my, I will send you the post. I just got chills even remembering it. And, you know, I took it upon myself to like educate people where, you know, they're like, what is this system? What are you talking about? And, you know, I, I really did feel the need to respond to most of them, but I also had really good responses with a lot of them where people would say, you know, what is the system? And I'd explain, you know, why, why is, you know, like, I mean, I can't even get it. Like, I don't even remember now at this point, like blacked out half of it was last year responding to some of them was very helpful. Responding to others of them was not. Some of them, it was like that just riled things up. I ended up, you know, people were saying even meaner things. So, you know, that was kind of one where I'm like, you live, you learn. I don't think I'm going to individually respond to people in the same way if I have a post that goes that viral and, and that response. But if there are opportunities where you can educate someone, where you see that it's like, you know, they're, they're asking like, what is the system? What are you, you know, what is parental burnout? What are you talking about? You know, why mm-hmm. I just recently posted about moms wanting to spend mother's day alone, you know, like why do moms want to spend the day alone? Like, how can you feel that way? And I am so, dying that someone would question anybody who's a mom of any child under the age of five is like, please just give me one mother's day. No, by myself. A mom did a mom responded and was like, oh. you know, she's like, you chose to be a mother and, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to get into that with her, but other people were like, well, why, you know, there's like a genuine curiosity. So I think you have to be intentional. I mean, like, look, I, I don't, I don't have those kind of numbers normally, right? Like my numbers are very manageable. I have my like five friends that respond and like you support me and like, you know, everything's all great. But as things start to get a little bit more expanded, I think my my best advice will, you know, be stay out of the comments section and <laughs> stand behind what it is that you're you're standing up for. And if you see an opportunity to educate someone, you know, where, and it, you don't, you're not, it's not our job to educate people, but if there's a question and you see a curiosity, then, then that may be an opportunity to step in, but right. yeah. Yeah. And, and then have, I obsess too. The... I obsess. <laughs> Good. Thank you for being honest. 
Some teenager went on all over my TikTok, like, it was like three videos, and they wrote, they were like, oh, like, you know, you're complaining about motherhood, and why would anybody want to buy your book? You're so, you're complaining all the time. And I, li- like, it was literally, obviously a teenager, and I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed. I'm like, who is this person? I'm like trying to find, but you know, it's like, it was clearly like a 16-year-old, you know, I hope, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It was. <laughs> no, it is but, weird how you, don't you become curious about like when someone really goes out of their way to to drag you like this happened to me recently about an episode and and you just become you just sort of go like why why did that become such an important part of that person's day that they had to take the time but you know it just goes back to like people write things on the internet that they wouldn't write in an email you write in an email what you wouldn't say on the phone you say on the phone what you would not say to someone's face mm. so that's kind of why I'm more and more careful about my own my own boundaries these days. But and but it's great, know, right? We don't know yeah. what go, what's going on. Like you know, I joke that it was some you know 15 year old, but who knows? You know, maybe it was somebody that was dealing with infertility and was highly triggered, you know, by by that perspective. And you don't know, and it's it's just and that comes back to the boundaries, right, from the beginning yeah. of the conversation, which is like that's where you really have to learn. Like, okay, I'm just responsible for what I put out in the world, and I'm responsible for how I show up. And all I can do is be kind and courteous and authentic. And how everybody else responds is not my responsibility. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the hardest. It's <laughs> a good mature perspective. That's a good mature perspective. And also, work on working on longer form things can help too. Like you mentioned, yeah. Substack, and and you've got your books. So that that is like, I, I that's what I recommend to people is like find an outlet where if you really have something that you feel it's important to share, like take the time to put it in a slightly longer format. And then the only people who will read that are people who actually care. I mean, this is to me part of the problem of social media is that it's just such quick fixes that people will like, will be reading it that don't even care about the topic or don't even know about the topic and yet still feel some inner drive to respond. And that to me is part of Anyway, that, another podcast for another time. <laughs> but let's talk more about you've got the book release is happening soon. It's happening June sixth. So what happens? Tell me about what happens for a book release. Like, what have you got coming up for us that people can tune into? I'm like ready to crawl into bed already. I'm like <laughs> super. We've got many, many exciting things. I promise. I, I, you know, maybe I will be tuning into some things from bed. Um, but there are many exciting things that are coming up. I mean, so it's interesting because the lead up to it, it's like it's all of this like hurry up and wait, and then you're waiting again, and then you're hurrying up again. So it's it's quite an uphill climb to get to the day of launch. You know, lots of fun. You know, different interviews and like getting to chat with you and um, you know different things that I'm writing. It's cool when you're when you're a writer already, you know, because some people are first time writers and and don't write regularly. But as you know, when you already have connections to different publications, you can write cool things for them. And so, yeah, good for you. You know, it's like that's been really fun too. Is like exploring different topics just to kind of get out there. But then, you know, we're having two launch parties. We're doing one in LA and one in the Bay Area, which everybody is invited to. And then what I'm doing across the country is I'm running parenting panels where I'm going into different communities 
like we're going to do something in New York City, we're going to do something in Philly, you know, we'll do something in more kind of North Bay area and and Houston and where I'm going to be interviewing the parent because I, I always feel better as the interviewer than the interviewee, but I, well, I like different parents that are really pivotal in that community about how yoga has influenced their parenting. So it'll be like, you know, it, it, usually when you you're, have your book, people moderate and they're asking you a million questions, but I wanted to flip it on its head and really leave these impacts in different places by bringing out the parenting community in each of the locations. Awesome. That sounds really fun, Sarah. That sounds really fun. So probably the best way for people to learn about all of these events is just, is it to follow you on Instagram? Sure. Yeah. Everything's on Instagram and then on my website too. We have all the events listed and the different locations we're going to be. And Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, awesome. And you'll put that all. I don't need to say it all, right? Because it's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put it in the show notes too. <laughs> okay. Yes. Good little, good little reminder. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I'm so excited for you. I'm just so happy that you're sharing yourself and your wisdom and your practices with the world. I think it will help so many people. So I encourage anyone who's listening out there to, to go get the book. And thank thanks you. for being here. We also have a, we have a discount code for your listeners too, by the way, which is if people buy the book off Shambhala.com directly and use the code YP, like yoga parenting, YP30, they'll get 30% off. Oh, nice. Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. Thank you so much. A little love for Yoga Land. And thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me. I'm not kidding when I feel like we sat down for a writing private. It was like 2016 or early 2017. And I I feel like that was one of the major seeds that planted, you know, the tree that that grew into this this life dream of mine. So I, I really appreciate you always being such a supporter. Absolutely. I'm so happy that that helped you. And I mean, I did so little. You just were ready and you took it and you ran with it. So so that is I'm what I sit back and and what have watched from a distance and just been so happy for you that you have made your dream come to life. It's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Andrea. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I will put show notes, including a link to Sarah and her book at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 297. And please share this interview with anyone you think it would help. Some parent friends who need a little bit more support, some more self-care and some more framing around their parenting, especially in those early years where it's, where it's, really all about survival. Okay, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice.